Today's Bible reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 5, from verse 21 to 43. Mark, chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing out loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kun, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name's Matt and it's great to be with you, even if it is online. Well, I don't know exactly where you are right now or what situation exactly you find yourself in but the next weeks and months will certainly be a test of our faith uh, perhaps it already has been a test for your faith this week a friend lost his job because of the impact of the coronavirus on the economy and i'm sure he will be the first among many in the weeks and months to come finding household needs at the moment can be very difficult and perhaps you care for children or other dependents and you're anxious about being able to make ends meet week to week. Practicing social isolation uh, or even social distancing and with borders closing, that means we can be separated from loved ones and the loneliness that comes with that can be hard for all of us. Or if you're elderly or perhaps already unwell, perhaps you're worried about what contracting 
the virus might mean for you. My grandfather is elderly and has cancer. And so we personally as a family are navigating that. Today, the passage from the Bible that we just heard addresses what faith looks like in times of crisis. Very timely indeed. I imagine we're all thinking questions at the moment like, how do I continue to trust God? What does it look like to trust Him in crisis? Why should I trust Him? So let me pray for us as we come to God's Word, that He would speak to us and that we would listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know how much you care for us, how powerful you are. And so we ask in this moment, by your spirit and grace, transform us by your word, that we might trust in you in this difficult time. Amen. Well, let's think about that first question. How do I trust God in crisis? How do I trust him? The Gospel writer Mark gives us one story with two individuals who come to Jesus in a time of personal crisis. Let's notice how different they are and how differently they come to Jesus. Firstly, there's Jairus. He's a man. He's a religious man. Not only is he a religious man, he's a leader, a religious leader. And in his day, that would have meant he was a person of distinction and honor within his community. There's also indications in the story that he's a person of means. On the other hand, there's the woman. Notice she's unnamed. unnamed. She's just a woman. Perhaps nobody knew her name. Perhaps she was just known as that woman. She's also unclean. That is, because of her suffering, her bleeding, it would have meant in the Jewish faith and culture that she was ceremonially unclean. That means she's unable to participate in church. She's unable to be public with people unless she makes them aware of her presence. She was contaminated in a very real way socially and religiously. She's contagious. She's been this way for 12 years. She's very sick, very isolated. And we're told because she's suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, she's actually a person now with no means. And the situation is only getting worse. Notice also that they approached Jesus from two different angles. Jairus saw Jesus and fell at his feet in front of him. He pleads earnestly with him, tells him his story, and asks Jesus to do something very clear and direct. On the other hand, the woman, she's heard about Jesus, she decides to come up from behind him, just wanting to touch his clothes, thinking kind of superstitiously, perhaps if I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. These two people couldn't be more different. They couldn't be further apart on the social, economic, and religious scales. And yet they share the same thing. They share something in common. They have faith. They recognize they need help, and they trust in Jesus for the help that they need. There's something there that we need to remember about faith. Everyone can come to Jesus. Everyone can have faith. Jesus loves those who come to him no matter who and no matter how. I love Psalm 145 verse 9. Speaking of God, it says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. Here we're seeing that in Jesus. He cares for the religious leader, well-known and well-to-do, and he cares for the woman who's religiously, socially, and physically impoverished. So here's the thing. 
You can have faith. You can trust in God. You can go to Jesus no matter who you are. Because it's not about you. It's about Him. And the fact that they come to Jesus from different angles tells us that faith doesn't have to be perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect faith. There's no form of prayer. There's no style of service. You can be online with church. There's no things you must do or things you mustn't do that is faith. Faith is simply and purely confidence in the person and power of Jesus. There's room for different emotions with him. There's room for different stages and ages of life. You might feel like life is reasonably together at the moment. You might feel like life is falling apart. But because confidence in Jesus is not about you, but it's about him, it doesn't matter. Don't come to him perfect or you'll never come. He's indifferent to status, education, how much you have, how much you don't have, how religious your background or experience is, how bad your problems are, what other people think of you. Your faith can be imperfect because the object of your faith, Jesus, is perfect. What does that mean for us? Well, I think sometimes in crisis, it's easy sometimes to think we shouldn't bother God with our problems. Perhaps we see somebody else go to Jesus uh, with a very serious, life-threatening problem, and we think, actually, mine's small and insignificant. I won't bother him. The woman would have known who had come to Jesus. She would have known what the problem was. His daughter's dying. She would have known how significant it was. And perhaps she could have thought to herself, he probably won't care about me. But guess what? Jesus has power for her. Jesus has love for her. He has compassion on her. He stops for her. He waits for her. He wants to know her. We can be tempted in crisis to put ourselves and our problems on a scale, but faith is for everyone because it's just about recognizing you need his help and that he's strong and kind enough to help. So how do we have faith? We go to Jesus who loves all. Another important thing that this point means for us at the moment is that just as Jesus shows compassion on all, those who follow him as individuals and as a community ought to do the same. It was John Wesley who said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Secondly, you might be asking, what's it look like to trust God in times of crisis? Have a look at verse 35 of chapter 5. While Jesus was still speaking, some of the people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. We've all experienced delays, haven't we? Delays suck. A delay on the train line when you're trying to get to that important meeting in the city. A delay in the groceries coming to your home or for restocking on the shelves. Are you still waiting for the NBN? Delays can suck. We've all experienced delays. But Jairus' delay comes at the ultimate cost. You can imagine how frustrating this moment would have been for him. He's convinced Jesus to come with him. It wasn't hard. His daughter's dying. 
But then in a crowd of hundreds of people not practicing social distancing, somebody apparently touches him. And the story tells us he turns around, he changes direction, and we're thinking, no. And at this point, the story is deliberately drawn out to make us feel it. Jesus turns around, he asks a question to the crowd, the disciples get involved, they've got their thing to say. We're told Jesus keeps looking, and then eventually when the woman finally comes to him, we're told she tells him the whole truth. You can imagine Jairus thinking, just give him the dot points, woman. And then Jesus lovingly and graciously talks to her, and we're told, while Jesus was still speaking. And we're thinking, this is frustrating. We're screaming, this is obscene. There's a girl who's dying, and Jesus has stopped. And that's the point. Jesus hasn't just delayed the whole thing. He's seemingly committing malpractice. When someone's dying, you don't stop for someone who's not fatally injured or not fatally ill. Perhaps one of the most shocking and startling things when the coronavirus first came out was that the scientists gave us their estimates on how long it would take to find an antidote. You remember they said it would take about 18 months. At that moment, I was reminded humans are not all-powerful and all-knowing. We're just making this up as we go. But God is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-loving. But sometimes His answers to our prayers seem delayed. Sometimes they take 18 months or 18 years or 18 lifetimes. There seems to be delays. He seems to be committing malpractice. But Jesus tells us, just like he did Jairus, verse 36, don't be afraid, only believe. So why does Jesus delay? Well, we all know that old cliche that the journey is just as important as the destination. And in this case, it's really true. What's important to Jesus in this moment is that Jairus learns to trust in him. And he learns about having a relationship with him. The healing of his daughter is important and it will happen. But there's something more important. There's something important about the journey as well. And that is that Jairus learns to trust Jesus. Because he's going to go through this kind of thing again and again in his life. As are we. And what matters most is that we learn to trust him. I love Psalm 23, verse 4. You'll probably know it well. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not fear, for you are with me. What matters is that we learn to trust God and have a relationship with Him, even in the valley of the shadow of death. See, faith can plead and faith can push through a crowd, but sometimes faith also has to be patient and persevere. I think that's important for us to hear at the moment. It's so easy for us at the moment, isn't it? To be busy, to be anxious, to worry, to get caught up in the hype and the noise and the commotion, to act out of fear, thinking perhaps God doesn't know what he's up to. He doesn't know his timing. He's lost sight of the big picture. He's forgotten about you and your family. But notice Jesus overhears but ignores the message, the media, the hype, and he tells us, don't be afraid, only believe. He tells us to focus on him, to trust him, his goodness, his grace, his provision, and his timing. What's faith look like in moments of crisis? Often it looks like being patient 
and persevering. Thirdly, another question we might have is, why should we continue to trust Jesus in crisis? Why continue? The first thing to point out is that he cares. Jesus cares about our individual suffering and our global suffering. That's why he heals the woman. That's why he goes with Jairus. Jesus cares about our suffering. That is, of course, why the Son of God came to earth, to experience our pain, to walk with us so that he could say, and we would believe him when he says, I'm with you. I know. I understand. But we can trust him not just because he sympathizes, but also because he's our saviour because he's defeated death and brought in a new reality. In the current climate, in the current coronavirus situation, it's easy to see what people fear, isn't it? Death. And death is controlling us. It's shaping how we live. Everything from the issues with toilet paper and tissues through to social distancing and border lockdowns, it's all about running away from death. And I don't intend to make light of it here because it's a serious thing and perhaps it's something you're seriously facing. But it is awkward, isn't it, how Jesus talks about death in this passage with these people. He gate crashes a funeral because he says the child is not dead, she's actually asleep. Verse 39, why all this commotion and this wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But when he goes into the room and says, honey, it's time to get up. And he says, let's get you some afternoon tea. And presumably some was brought to her. We begin to see what he sees. Death is not the end. Because in God's world, in God's kingdom, to Jesus, in his eyes, death is merely a nap. How can he see that? How does he see that? Because he knows These little miracles are pointing to his great miracle. These little healings are pointing to his great healing. See, just like the miracle with the woman where he loses power that she might gain it, in the great miracle of his death on the cross, Jesus gives up power so that we might gain his power. Jesus lays down his life so that we might pick life up. In the second miracle of him taking the girl's hand and raising her from the dead, if Jesus has your hand, if you've put your life in God's hands, he promises to raise you from the dead as if it were a nap. At the end of last year, our community had the sadness and privilege of experiencing the passing of a member of our church. She lost a battle with cancer. But do you know how she went out? She went out singing. I had the opportunity to visit her a few days before she died, and we sung together. How could she sing? How how could she go out singing? Because she knew while she was losing a battle to cancer, her Savior had won the war with death. He became weak and died for her so that she might receive his power and live forever with him. He became weak and died for us so that we might receive his power and that we might live forever with him. Well, what does faith look like in crisis? How do you trust God? We remember that our faith doesn't have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect because Jesus is. What's faith look like? Well, while we can pray and we can push 
with God, we also need to remember at times we need to be patient and persevere, trusting His timing. But why should we trust Him? Because He didn't run from death, but He ran to it so that we could run forever into God's arms. Let me pray that we might stand in this test of our faith. Jesus, thank you for your mercy and power. Help us to live in light of the life that we have in you. In, the, in your name we pray. Amen.